0: Heavenly Father, as we stop and we think about your word, I pray that you will, you, you will give us understanding. I pray that you will equip us to live lives, lives of worship to you, lives which are full of thankfulness to you. Lives where we recognise your faithfulness to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's passage deals with a very important topic for us today. Uh, Genesis chapter 19 has the first mention in the Bible of homosexual acts, or at least the intention of homosexual acts. And I, I know that this is an issue that is on your minds, or at least for a lot of you, because people keep asking me about it. Well, well, you know, what, what should we do? How should we respond? I think one of the challenging things is just how quickly our society has flipped around on this issue. Uh, did you know that in this state of Victoria, as recently as 1981, so that's, that's in my lifetime, uh, in Victoria, the law said that you could go to prison for up to 15 years for engaging in male homosexual practices. And yet things have changed so quickly that since 2022 there's been a law in force in Victoria which makes it illegal, at least according to the Victorian Human Rights Commission's interpretation of the law. It, it makes it illegal for me as a pastor to pray with a same-sex attracted member of the church in a way that indicates they are broken and need to be healed. So what a... like. What a complete 180 degrees has happened in our state. Uh, There's a a guy called um, Steve McAlpine who recently wrote an excellent book called Being the Bad Guys. Uh, The idea of the book is that in the past, we Christians used to be mocked for being the good guys. It's like, oh, our views on sexuality were a bit, you know, a bit too holy, a bit too goody-goody. Whereas... Today, a generation later, we're in a situation where we're mocked for being the bad guys. Like, our views on sexuality haven't changed. But now we're sometimes seen as hateful or or unloving or unholy. I'm conscious that this might be an issue in different ways for different people here. Um, for some of you, this might be an issue because you're feeling the social pressure to change your views. You're thinking, "Oh, am I, am, am I just being old-fashioned and, and not thinking?" Or, or for, there might be others here where it's a it's it's a much more personal thing. Maybe there's someone you love, or even you yourself, who is struggling with same-sex attraction and trying to figure out what to do with that and how that fits in with. Faith in Jesus. And so let's think about what God is teaching us from Genesis chapter 19. And there's two things I want to cover this morning. First, we should look at this passage and we should, we should try to understand what was the sin of the city of Sodom. And then I want us to think about Lot and how he responded to that. And especially what lesson there is for us as we seek to look after our children in this very fast-changing world. So what was the sin of the city of Sodom? Uh, Well, we have a word in the English language um, which comes from this chapter. Uh, The word is sodomy. It describes a particular kind of male homosexual activity. And it's quite possible, as soon as we mention the sin of the city of Sodom, um, it's quite natural that that's the first thing that comes to our mind. And the intention is definitely there in our passage. Like Genesis chapter 19, verse 5, uh, the men of Sodom say to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. However, in, in recent years, there's been another way of reading this passage which has become more popular. And if you haven't come across it before, you, you probably will sooner or later. Uh, let me quote to you from an American writer named Matthew Vines. Um, he says, The sin of Sodom had far more to do with a lack of hospitality and a bent toward violence than with any sexual designs the men had on Lot's visitors. So he's saying, no, no, this chapter isn't really about homosexuality. It's about hospitality. So what do we we make of that? Well, I want to show you that to to read the passage like that is a little bit right, but also a whole lot wrong. Let's start with what he gets right. Um, There is... There is a focus on hospitality in these chapters. Uh, So do do you remember back at the start of Genesis chapter 18 when three strangers appeared near Abraham's tent? What did Abraham do? Uh, He bowed down low, he welcomed them in, and he convinced them to stay and to wash their feet. Okay? Now go to the start of chapter 19. When Lot sees the two angels arrive in his city, what does he do? He bows down low, he welcomes them in, he convinces them to stay and to wash their feet. So it's showing that Lot is behaving in a, in a very Abraham kind of way. I mean, Lot and Abraham are, rem- are the people who are remembered in the New Testament as showing hospitality to angels, And remember, hospitality is a love of strangers. We talked about that. Uh, The men of Sodom, on the other hand, are quite the opposite. They don't love the strangers with with God's kind of love. They want to use and abuse these strangers. And when Lot says no... They turn on him and Genesis chapter 19 verse 9, they're like, hang on, this guy, Lot himself is a foreigner. And they threaten Lot with something even worse. Um, Ezekiel, the prophet, picks up on this when Ezekiel speaks to God's people and says, This was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. And so because of verses like this, people are saying, hey, this chapter doesn't really teach us about homosexuality. It's all about hospitality. But hang on a minute. Here's where, here's where it falls down a bit. Who says that Sodom is only allowed to have one sin? I mean, just think about this chapter as a whole. My my summary of the chapter at the start is that this chapter is Lot gets his family out of Sodom, but doesn't get Sodom out of his family because the chapter finishes with the sad story of Lot's daughters sleeping with their drunk father. Daughters who, remember the daughters, grew up in Sodom and learnt the ways of Sodom, which clearly included Twisted sexual practices. It's it's interesting how, like, just holding up this chapter next to our society, our our Aussie culture generally supports homosexuality, and yet I reckon most Aussies would be horrified by what happened at the end of the chapter between Lot and his daughters. Uh, Does that mean that Aussies are irrationally hateful and discriminate against people who practice incest? Or does it just mean that Aussies have certain moral convictions? In the same way, believing the Bible doesn't mean that we hate homosexuals as people. It just means we're convinced that when it comes to to behaviour, there is a a right and a good way to use our bodies, and there are way there are wrong ways which go against God's design. I guess one of the challenges when, when you're reading a passage like this, it, it's a narrative, it's a story, and, and and as you tell stories, like the author doesn't go through every event in the story with kind of like writing notes on the side saying hey this happened and this was right but then that happened and that was wrong and then the next bit was also wrong and like the reader has to figure out what to make of the story and so how, how are we supposed to figure out what are the things in this chapter which are which are good and positive and wholesome and which are not well Okay, you've got lots of narrative in the Bible, but also something like half the Bible is teaching of different kinds. And so we can use the teaching sections of the Bible to figure out what to do with the narrative. I mean, this book of Genesis that we're reading, it's part of a set of five books that were written by Moses. And and when you get to the teaching sections in these books... I mean, here's a verse. It's pretty clear. Uh, Leviticus chapter 18 says, "Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman." That is detestable. Or this is very same chapter from uh, Ezekiel. Remember, that, remember how Ezekiel was saying, "Hey, Sodom didn't, you know, didn't um, love the poor and welcome strangers." That same chapter also says. You will bear the consequences of your lewdness that's a that's a word that's talking about that um, has sexual connotations and your detestable practices like there's a whole lot more verses I could flash up and show you but I think the teaching sections of the Bible are pretty clear today today there are some churches and Christian leaders who have switched to Affirming homosexual practices. But I think you can only make that switch if you pick the verses you like and ignore the verses that you don't like. And so what was the sin of Sodom? Well, actually, there wasn't, there, there wasn't just one sin of Sodom. Actually, as, as the people of this city rejected God, that came out in all sorts of different ways. It came out in their attitude toward foreigners. It came out in their desire to dominate and abuse strangers. It came out in their sexual practices. They're they're all different symptoms of a heart that turns from God and turns in on itself. I think it's actually really helpful to recognise that there were a range of ways... That the people of Sodom were shaped by sin, were turned in on themselves. Because, like, if you could just narrow it down to, here's the one thing that the people of Sodom did wrong. Then, like, if it was like that, then you would just have to say, well, I won't do that one thing, and then I'll stand outside and I'll point the finger. But if you realise, no, there's this, there's this range of sins, then you, and then you reflect on yourself, like, you, you, you realise oh, there's, there's something Sodom-like in all of us. You know, if, if there was just one sin, I could stand there and I can say, well, I'm married to a woman, so I must be righteous, and all those homosexuals must be the sinners. But, but when you when you realise, no, hang on, even if I haven't engaged in all the sins of Sodom, there is, there is something in my heart which... You know whether whether it's the tendency to use other people for our selfish ends, whether it's our attitude towards strangers, or whether it's our sexual desires, we are all sinners, which means the solution is actually the same for all of us. if If, if we're sinners and God's judgment is coming on sinners, what's the solution? What do we need? We need someone who will save us from sin. We need Jesus who died on the cross for the sins of his people. That means that straight people need Jesus. Homosexuals need Jesus. Aussies need Jesus. Migrants need Jesus. Well, wherever you fit in this chapter, you need a saviour. You need God's mercy. We all need to repent of self-centred living. We're, we're, we're a kind of an attitude of life where everything is geared towards my own pleasure. We all need to turn to God and put our faith in him and learn to delight in, hang on a minute, here's a God who is, who is self-giving in his love. And I want to embrace that kind of attitude. And you turn to God and put your trust in Jesus, then whatever your sexual background, we can say together, because my sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Okay, so if we have found forgiveness and freedom in Jesus, how should we then live if we find that we are in the city of Sodom? Well, I think there, there is a lesson that we can learn from Lot, now, the New Testament does remember this guy, Lot, as a believer, even though he made some foolish choices along the way. Uh, we do get some hints that Lot is distressed by the things that he saw and heard in the city of Sodom. Like uh, like when the visitors tell him, hey, we want to spend the night in the square. Like, can you pick up how he's He's a bit anxious about that. Like, no, really, guys, don't do that. Verse 3, he insisted so strongly. And then, uh, okay, verse 7, Lot even speaks out against the men of Sodom. No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. So, so it seems like Lot, as an individual, he he held to his morals. He didn't join in with the practices of the city of Sodom. However, the story of Lot is a sad story because he didn't manage to pass on his way of life to his family. I mean, his wife seemed to really love Sodom. She just didn't want to get a move on and get out of there. And then we got his daughters. Um, Looking after his daughters didn't seem to be a priority for Lot. Remember, Do you remember how Lot ended up in Sodom in the first place? Like, Lot was a wealthy guy and he moved there for business reasons, like it was the best place where he could buy and sell and be near the river. And he wasn't really moving there thinking, hey, I wonder where might be a good place to bring up my kids. I mean, in our chapter, like, one of the shocking things in our chapter is in Lot's attempt to show hospitality, he offered to give his daughters up to the crowd. I wonder how they felt about that. Thankfully, the angels stopped him from doing it. But here's a, here's a lesson that I think we can learn from lot. This is a lesson for us as a church, I reckon, especially for the parents, but but, but all of us. We're all in the business of passing on the gospel to the next generation. Um, and I, and I just want to say, if, if you're older and your kids have grown up, i um, like, I'm not really specifically talking to you for the next five minutes. I'm not. My aim is definitely not to make you feel guilty about all your successes and failures of parents. Actually, I want you to stand alongside me and make a plea for the, for the younger children and the teenagers who are growing up in our city. So, here's the lesson. Just disapproving of Sodom is not enough. We need to give the next generation a positive alternative. Think about what you teach your kids. If, if, if all we do is say, ah, kids, yeah, that, nah, that's bad. Our oh, gender stuff, bad. Pornography, bad. Gay marriage, bad. No, no, we, we don't do that. It's bad. There is plenty of bad stuff going on in our city. But if that's all we say, then, I mean, we can expect that our kids might see us as grumpy old people. But will our kids be motivated to live joyfully for Jesus? Just disapproving of Sodom is not enough. We need to give the next generation a positive alternative. Because, you know what, Many of our kids are being confronted with a false gospel. See, there's a false gospel that says, you know what? If you stay true to yourself, if you just follow and express whatever those inner longings are, if 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 you just you just go with whatever your sense of yourself is, then you can find joy and freedom. Unless you do that, there will be no joy and freedom. That's the That's the false gospel. It's a false promise. It doesn't work. Like, do you you think people are generally getting happier? But, of course, joy, freedom, isn't that what everyone wants? Can't you see how our kids might want to go wherever joy and freedom is on offer? And so, positive alternative. We want to teach kids that actually... True joy, lasting joy, eternal joy, true, real freedom comes from Jesus and from living for him and trusting him and obeying him. There's an old prayer that says, in your service is perfect freedom. Well, we, need, we need our kids to learn that, that it's, it's from knowing God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit who loves us that there is real joy and security. And also, we need to teach them that, hey, if, if you're going to be sexually active, it's, it's actually better that it happens within the security of the covenant of marriage than with someone whose commitment might only be temporary or conditional. Well, there's lots I can say about that. I'm, I'm hoping that... Um, that at some point I can run a Sunday night training course on biblical sexuality, maybe sometime after Easter. So stay tuned for that. But we've, we've got to give this positive alternative to our kids in, in, ha- in what we say, but also in the example that we set. As, I, as I've said to most of you parents individually, your, your kids will learn more about what really matters in life from what you do than from what you say. Um, As parents and actually as a whole community, can we we show the next generation what really matters by choosing to put God's kingdom first? Like Let's learn and display contentment in Christ. Let's, Let's learn to rejoice in all situations. So that we're not just telling the kids, but we're showing them that that following Jesus is good. For those who are single, show the beauty of Christian singleness and the freedom that that brings to serve others. And for those who are married, as much as it's up to you, show the beauty of Christian marriage. Finally, we need to help our young people form healthy relationships. I mean, Notice, Lot arranged for his daughters to get engaged to men from Sodom, men who laughed when he spoke to them about God. Whereas when, when we get forward, forward uh, to chapter 24, we find that one of the last things that Abraham does is he, he makes a really big effort to to set up his child with someone who's not going to be like the people of Sodom. Our young people have two good options in front of them. As Christians, a good option is staying single and dedicating your life to God's kingdom. And another good option is getting married and dedicating your life to God's kingdom. Whichever path our kids follow, if they're going to grow this kingdom mindset... We can't expect them to do it all alone. As parents, well, you need to think about how you're going to help your kids form relationships with other Christians. Because are they going to make those, those healthy friendships by playing basketball four days a week? Are they going to make those healthy friendships by working in the cafe every Sunday morning? Are, are they going to 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 gain that treasure in heaven by doing excessive amounts of homework? I mean, the right amount of homework is okay. Or so, so or are your kids going to form those relationships by being here at church on a Sunday? Or, or, or youth group on a Friday, or youth camps during the holidays, or whatever the... Wherever you can connect them, whatever our age, we all need relationships with people who, who love Jesus, love His Word, and who can reinforce for us the positive alternative. Because when you're all alone, you can just question and go, "Am I? Am my beliefs just just strange? And am I just living in the past?" Because friends, the good news about Jesus. Is, is, is a better story to tell. Well, what are people wanting in life? What are people, when, when people explore sexual or gender identities, what are they really searching for? Don't they just want to be known and loved? And isn't that what we have in the gospel? Through, through, through Jesus Christ, God knows us. He knows us even as sinners with all our flaws, and yet He loves us. What are people searching for? Don't they just want to find peace and joy and security? Well, we read in our New Testament reading that in Christ we belong to a city of joy. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, we've been brought into a kingdom which cannot be shaken. That's security. We have God who says he will never leave us or forsake us. Through Jesus, even though there are things in our hearts which reflect the the sinful heart of Sodom. God has showed us mercy. He has snatched us from Sodom. He is our helper. We have a reason to not fear whatever might come ahead of us. Friends, brothers, sisters, people loved by God, we have a better story to tell than the stories of the man of Sodom. So let's keep telling that story. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your mercy on us. We are sinners and we pray that you will teach us to delight in all the things that you've generously given to us. And we pray that you will equip us to share the good news of salvation with people around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.